Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Nicholas Nickleby Review miniseries. This is our final episode. We have made it nine episodes in, and we have now are have finished this the 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 play, and we will now be doing a cumulative summary and experience of this adventure in this very episode. So if you've been skipping episodes, you can now skip to this one and you'll get all the stuff that you kind of missed. But here we go. We are back. I'm once again joined by my very dandily dressed Mr. Ryan Barakovich. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Mac. You're one to talk. Look at you, dandily dressed as well. Um, I, I try. It's the final episode. We it's the final episode. And I figured if all Newman Nogs can get to wear a fancy suit at the end, so could I. So that there was, then again, it is still COVID. So I am wearing sweatpants from the waist as down. As am I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, uh, let's dive into this but final first, what's in your cup? Oh my goodness, right. Well, in honor of all the very Les Mis-y, um things that happened in this episode, there is there you go. the official Les Mis mug. Oh, trust me, we're going to check in about that a little later. <laughs> Better believe it. Mm-hmm. Well, I just have my you? regular The Cup Cup with orange Pico tea, because why mess with a good thing this close to the finish line? Very good. Well, I have my Earl Grey tea. Cheers. Mm. Cheers, Mr. Lilyvick. <laughs> we'll talk about Mr. Lilybeck, even though he's not Absolutely. in this episode, thankfully, but we'll talk not. about why that is yeah. still a problem, even though I'm happy he's not here. <laughs> Very right. true. Well, let's dive in. Give us a quick summary, Ryan, of what happened in the last episode. Elevator pitch it. Uh, yeah, so the last episode was kind of defined by three big high drama moments. Mm-hmm. The first one was the duel that takes place between Lord Frederick and Sir Mulberry Hawk. In which uh, Hawk shoots Frederick. He's dead, but because he owed a lot of money to Ralph that now dies with him, Ralph is screwed financially, as are all of his co conspirators, you could call them, including Sir Mulberry Hawk. So, yeah. deliberately dying in this duel was a strategic move by Lord Frederick to destroy all of his enemies at once. True. And yeah, that was kind of the last we see of Hawk. Then we have Hawk the. Hawk the country. Yes. Then we have the thwarted wedding, which is, as we know, Mr. Gride, a.k.a. the Goblin, was planning to extort a marriage out of poor Madeline. Yes. And, uh, Madeline yeah, Bray. Madeline Bray. Uh, and yeah, so Nicholas and Kate crash the wedding to be like, this is preposterous. And But then, you know, during all the commotion, which Mr. Hawk also crashes, but we don't need to really get into that. Um, uh, Mr. Bray dies suddenly and uh, well he was sickly anyway he he was sickly yes so I guess all the commotion was too much for him and yes then Bray you know Bray's death means that Madeline can you know back out of the wedding because she was only doing it to save her father and now it's too late for that Mm -hmm. Uh, so then Alan that kind of was you know punctuated by oh no the deed that yes. says that Madeline actually has all this money that'll become hers when she gets married, that uh, the goblin had in his possession was stolen by his... Housekeeper. S- housekeeper, landlady, girlfriend, hard to say. Peg. <laughs> Peg. <laughs> so yes, Peg's made off with it, and oh no, they're ruined unless they can find it. Uh, and Ralph had tasked Mr. Squeers with uh, being the one to find it. And then the kind of final big drama event of the previous episode was the death of poor old Smike, who consumption was, got him. Yeah, yeah, he had his 
tuberculosis, big sad finale, and they took him back to their family farm. Come to me. Yes. And, you know, as you do with a poor, you know, sick dog, you take him to the farm upstate where he can run around and play with all the other dogs. Um, and yes, yeah, Smike, Smike is no longer with us in a big, sad, dramatic climax. Yeah. Now, which brings us to the final episode, which mm-hmm. kind of, I would say, exists in sort of three parts, really two, but a sort of disconnected prologue bit. Yes. So we open in the, and I named all these parts, because why not? Right. Uh, we open with part one that I'll call The Sting. <laughs> and this is our little prologue sequence where we're with Mr. Squeers, who has tracked down Peg and he's slowly trying to work his charm magic to get her to give him the deed, Mm -hmm. which is pretty easy because he just sort of like, you know, tempts her with alcohol and that kind of does the trick. He, you know, gives Peg a few drinks and she's very happy for the drinks and he like promises to give gossip about how Gride's wedding was a disaster, which she loves to hear because, you know, she hates him. (laughs) Um, and, And, you know, through this sort of transaction of gossip and drink uh squeers manages to get a hold of the deed and he's like smacking peg away like haha i got what i want i'm gonna run away when there's suddenly a knock at the door and who is it why it's old newman noggs and frank charable and they brought the constable with them and the coppers they're like this is a raid and they you know do the whole kind of like you know shakedown you know, getting what they want. Um, But Squeers tries to make a run for it and he's running across the balcony, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's, you know, doing all this thing. But suddenly, just as he thinks he got away, Newman Noggs hits him in the head with what looked to me like uh, some kind of like big metal tray. I don't know, what what was it in the book? We can skip ahead just to this portion of the adaptation check-in. I'm currently scrolling through my chapter notes to see what it was. Yeah, yeah, it just says that Nogs get hits him in the head. So, so no, so like no instrument or yeah. like blunt or musical yes. is listening. So first yes. of all, I think well, to me, I think it would have been more like, you know, more like symbolically rich if he just punched him instead of hitting yes. him with an object in the back of the head. Because one, that that's what Nicholas always does, and Nogs loves him some Nicholas. So like that, if that's the lesson he yes. learns from his good friend, that sometimes you just need to solve your problem with your fist. And two, because he's always cracking his knuckles and he periodically did like the fake air Oh, punching. and sorry, sorry. Newman raised the bellows again. So the something bellows. The bellows. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so I, I, don't, I don't know what bellows are. Well, I think it's like the, is it the thing that like puffs in the fireplace? Oh, like... yes. Yes, correct. <laughs> okay. Yes, it's the puffy thing that in the fire. So yeah. it hits him with that in the head. Well, I still think, you know, getting back to what I was saying, I still think he should have punched him. One, because that's what Nicholas would do. And two, because he's always cracking his knuckles and mind punching the air, pretending what he wants to do to Ralph. It would be pretty, Yes, it would be pretty fun if he just finally, you know, those fists were put to use. But now, whatever, we'll hit him with a prop of sorts. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so good old, you know, this obviously elicited big cheers from the audience that... Not only does Squeers yes. get his comeuppance, but that it's Nogs who delivers this sort of fatal blow. But not fatal because Squeers will be just fine. Yeah. But wait till you hear what happens to him later. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that ends the sting. 
thus ends the sting. So then this next sort of like multi-part section, but I'll consider it all one continuous thing, I'm calling Ralph's Progress. Mm. Of like, a la Pilgrim's Progress. Um, As I say, shouldn't it be more called Ralph's Descent? It's his descent into hell, but I think this is sort of the, right. yeah, <laughs> it, it, fine, Ralph's Inferno, why don't we? Sure. <laughs> sure. So Ralph is alone, lamenting his sleeplessness in a soliloquy. He calls for Nogs, but gets no response. Then a letter arrives, and we don't know right away who it's from, but we later find out it's from the Cherubles, and it's saying that there's dreadful news, that matters have come to light, it will not be good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so then a Greek chorus goes on about how Ralph is taking to the streets. First, he goes to Snolly's house. And very good casting, I'll say here, because Mrs. Snolly answers the door. And she's played by Janet Dale, who we've seen in like a number of roles previously. But right. one of them was as one of the two Snolly boys at the Yorkshire yes. School. So very good casting choice there to have, oh, I see the family resemblance with you and your mother. It's like, well done, well done there. Um, So yeah, Janet Dale playing Mrs. Snolly answers the door and she says, my husband isn't going to talk to you and, you know, he wants nothing to do with you. And so get lost. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't work. So then Ralph goes on to visit his good friend, Mr. Goblin Gride, (laughs) who likewise, at least he answers his own door, but he shoes him away and says, it's not safe. Get out of here. So Ralph is very perplexed that these men who, quote, used to lick the dust off my feet and, quote, are now rejecting him. I guess this is what happens when, you know, your, you know, your Breaking Bad-esque meth empire yes. is crumbling. <laughs> um, yeah, he doesn't have his money anymore. The the end is looming. Mm-hmm. He clearly doesn't have the same power that he used to. He is, he is becoming disheveled. Mm-hmm. So then on his third trip on this, like, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, he goes to looking for Squeers and Peg. And, you know, a young woman answers the door and says that, oh, they're not here. They were taken by the constable to the police office. He's like, where is the police office? He's like, well, that I can tell you because I'm poor and therefore I've certainly been arrested before. So <laughs> the, the young lady takes him to the police office where Squeers is all tied up. Mm-hmm. And so when Ralph gets there, um yeah he so squeers is very drunk first of all yes and uh yeah he's like he is not having ralph's kind of like fake friendship camaraderie he's like telling him right away that i I will do whatever i need to do to like lessen my sentence and if that means flipping on you so be it what are you gonna do you can't afford to pay me you Mm -hmm. can't pay me off you know if they send me some to some you know, dark continent, and we'll talk about which one in a minute. <laughs> if they send me to some dark exotic continent, what what will your money do for me there? So, yeah, you know, screw you, Ralph, you can't help me anymore. And so I will do what I have to to survive. <laughs> uh, that is true. So in his desperation, Ralph visits the Cherubles, who were, we. this is when we find out that they were the ones who sent the letter. And they... You kind of do like a bit of a Jerry Springer, Maury Povich sort of, and look at all the people we've assembled to talk, to see you here on live television. <laughs> because Surprise! who do they have? Well, first of all, they have Mr. Noggs and Ralph laughs. Ha ha ha. Yes, the spineless twit is a liar. And of course he's working with you, but you can't trust anything he says. And he's then, a drunk. Yes, a drunk and a liar. 
And as if, like, this this is kind of as much as there's a lot going on with a lot of characters in this episode. To me, this feels like the Nogs episode because he he gets a lot of big moments in this one. He's already yeah. had this big moment of physical violence and here he finally gets to tell Ralph everything he's been thinking all these years. How if I'm drunk, it's because, you know, you work me to the bone, which I've been nothing but loyal to you because I had to, because I'm poor. And if I'm a liar, if I'm such a liar, then why wasn't I your favorite? You love liars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so good old Newman Nogs gets to, gets to say what's finally been on his mind. And yep. then, you know, the charitables reveal that they knew all about the deed and how the goblin had required it and that it is now safely in police custody and that Snolly has already flipped on Ralph. So they're really, yeah, there's no chance of anything. Yeah. And, and then they inform him that Smike has died, which makes mm-hmm. Ralph laugh with joy. In fact, this is wonderful news because I don't care for Smike at all, nor do I have any reason to. In fact, I love that. It's his green goblin his moment. Yes, I love that he's dead because that means Nicholas is sad and I do hate my nephew. (laughs) But he's going to eat those words in just a second. Because the next big reveal of who else is behind curtain number two, why it's the the beggar from earlier, Mr. Brooker, I believe his name was. Brooker, yeah. And he comes in and reveals the big spoiler that we've refrained from talking about this whole time, that Smike is ralph's son you are the father <laughs> so so ralph's you know cheery demeanor immediately but what and mr bronco tells the story about how you know one of the many people that ralph was financially exploiting through debts had a had a lovely daughter who couldn't believe that the then handsome and young Ralph Nickleby was the source of their family's reunion, and she thought he was their savior, so she married him in secret, and they had a child. Uh, but then when he was busy with his business and was neglecting his family more, the, the lady ran away and <laughs> left the son behind. Uh, so... When Ralph sent Mr. Brooker, his then clerk, to retrieve the boy, mm-hmm. Mr. Brooker realized that this was not good. So he told Ralph that little baby Smike was dead, who wasn't named Smike back then. Mr. Brooker was the one who named him Smike. And he instead took him to the Yorkshire school mm-hmm. where he visited him for a while. But then when he wasn't able to keep up the payments, he eventually had to just leave. Well, he got, well, well, it was, it was because Ralph sent Brooker to prison. Yes, right. That I forgot about that detail. You're right, because Ralph sent Brooker to prison, as we yes. learned about in a previous episode, and that's why he wasn't able to keep. And that's how Smike went from being, I guess, a student to the school into indenture servitude, as we see yes. him at the beginning of the play. And it's also because of Ralph that Smike kind of turned out the way he did, because he kept him locked in the attic. Mm-hmm. Yes. So lots of stuff going on here mm-hmm. in this big reveal. And... So, yeah, after hearing this whole story, Ralph is legitimately devastated. And can we just take a moment talking about, like, good acting? I know we don't necessarily have a cast shout-out section on the docket for this very packed episode, but, like, yes. John Woodvine as Ralph really he sells would be my shout-out for this episode. Well, and I would also say Alan freaking Armstrong in the prison scene. Like, yes. he, the way he saw like... This is a good acting episode. Everybody gets their yes. kind of big final Oscar moments, so to speak. True. True. <laughs> and yeah, so those two in particular, like this yeah. 
plot-wise, this is like the yay triumphant Nogs episode, but Ralph's progress certainly, I think, gives us a lot of great acting moments from John Woodbine. I think I shouted him yeah. out in our very first episode, and he has he a constant great presence all the way through, so good yes. job there. So then, after this horrifying news, the chorus says that Ralph goes back into the streets and he visits a cemetery, and then there's a group of drunks who roll up on him, and be one of them begins to do a cheerful dance, which Ralph seems to enjoy. Sure. With the theme music <laughs> then, we've been hearing throughout the entire series. Yeah, like, I don't know what to figure out why it's there, but now it's, but now we get to know where it comes from. But, like, okay, sure, like, I, I don't know if there's that much to really unpack there, but I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 the music, sure. <laughs> um, so then Ralph comes home uh, to the attic room where Smike slept as a baby, and uh, mm-hmm. there's an interesting quote here that I will maybe read it now, and then we're gonna come yes, back to it later. It, yeah. So, but Ralph, while kind of pontificating on this room where baby Smike slept, he says, mm-hmm. "quote." If he'd been brought up here, might I have been a comfort to him? Might I have been a different man? A man like my nephew or like my brother? End quote. So just just remember that. We'll come back to that. (laughs) So he's realizing the folly of his ways. He repeats the line that he said earlier about all love is cant and vanity, but clearly is taking on a new meaning now. Yeah. and then a messenger comes from the Cherubles, requesting to see him tomorrow. And Ralph says, well, you can see me tomorrow, all right. Pick a time, any time. It doesn't matter to me. It won't matter soon. Because he stands up on a chair with a noose around his neck. He notices a hook up on the ceiling that he can hang the noose from. He wonders if baby Smike ever noticed that hook and thought about it. If it terrifies him, it terrifies me now. I am <laughs> reaching, but I fall. <laughs> and... Yeah, he does what I think is a very, you know, for all the great acting in this episode, he does this bad Smike impression as like his final lines. Well, he's choking. Yeah, I couldn't. Choking on the noose. He is choking, but to me, it's clearly supposed to sound like Smike. (laughs) The O-U-T, outcast, a noun, cast out, homeless, which like, yeah, little, little gauche for my taste, but whatever, he I attributed it to I attributed his speaking pattern to he's really hanging and choking. Like I don't think the character of Ralph is trying to do a Smike impression, but I think in the staging and acting and directing of it, that's what they were going yes. for. That through choking ma- makes yeah. him one with Smike in a way. Oh, and yeah, I, I don't love that. Um, so anyway, he jumps in the good hanging staging, and yeah, yeah. thus ends the tale of Ralph Nickleby Esquire. It's true. <laughs> So that so that's the end of part two, Ralph's progress, mm-hmm. and then the the third part, which kind of takes us to the very end. I will call I've sort of affectionately named this the happy end of a comedy. Yes. <laughs> um, so it begins with like a very chipper Greek chorus <laughs> saying, "Quote, and some weeks passed when the first shock of these happenings subsided." So we don't we don't get to like dwell on the immediate aftermath of any yep. of this, like the you know Nicholas and Kate finding out what happened. We don't get to like you know it's just no weeks later Which is a and big you know thing, the shock. <laughs> in the books, there's more to okay. it. 
okay, we'll talk about that when we get to the adaptation check-in right. then. But, but yeah, I just thought like, this was like a pretty interesting, like five weeks later, like, <laughs> you know, all the immediate aftermath has passed and now we can get to the good stuff. <laughs> yes. So the Cherubles have invited the whole Nickleby family and Miss LaCreevy for some reason that we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> we got to have Miss LaCreevy. She's not part of the Nickleby family, but it's She's okay. close enough to it. She's close enough, and there's a very deliberate reason why she's there. So, <laughs> um, yeah. so the Cherubles have invited them all over for a dinner party. So first they ask mm-hmm. Tim Lincolnwater to take Mama Nickleby and Miss LaCreevy aside for a moment so they can have a word with Nicholas and Kate. Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, they reveal that because of the, you know, safe uh, capturing of the deed, Madeline will receive 12,000 pounds upon her marriage. And they wonder, well, then, Nicholas, perhaps you can be the one to marry her. And Kate, perhaps you should be the one to marry Frank, whom you claim to love and who proposed to you. Yet neither one of you seems to want to marry these people. What a perfect fit is being squandered. (laughs) So... Uh, yeah, so basically, Nicholas and Kate, you know, because both of these romantic prospects are now likely to have a lot of money, mm-hmm. they don't they they don't want to like tarnish their honor by accepting these proposals, thinking that it'll you know the optics of it will appear very much like they're only doing it for the money to save themselves from squalor. And Nicholas says this kind of important line. I'll quote it now, and then we might come back to it again later. Mm-hmm. quote we have my sister and i have learned nothing in our journey so strongly as we've learned what happens to the kindest and the noblest and the gentlest people when their souls are tainted by the touch of money end quote Ooh. so it's not just that they don't want people to think they married for money they don't want anything to do with money because it is the root of all evil big kind of thesis signboard message 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 or so we thought, because the counter arguments are interestingly persuasive. Frank shows up and he's like, I can't bet it anymore, because he says, Kate, how could you say that money taints every good person? My uncles have money, and are you saying they are tainted? Are they not still the lovely good people they were when they walked barefoot into London? <laughs> so. Kate's like, hmm, you know what, Frank, that's a pretty good point. Let me stew on it while this other conversation happens. Because then who also barges in? It's Madeline. And she kind of like, you know, gives Nicholas a hard time for, you know, what? You don't see me as a person anymore. You only see 12,000 pounds. And, uh, you know, she reveals that for some reason that you know, eludes me that she too has loved Nicholas since the moment they laid eyes on each other. <laughs> and how how can you possibly not want to marry me just because I have money? So he's like, you know what, you, you make a good point. So, you know, he, Nicholas says, it appears we are overruled and the two couples unite, Nicholas with Madeline and Kate with Frank. And then Tim Lincolnwater comes back in and he has offstage for some reason told this news to Mama Nickleby and Miss LaCreevy, who, as far as I'm concerned, could have just been on stage during all of this. I'm not sure why this had to be a tell them in a different room. (laughs) So they didn't want while they didn't want the overly ambitious Mama Nickleby interfering in, in matters of emotion. Yeah, you know, it's a bit power and hungry. It's a bit power hungry. I guess. And then 
uh, Tim Lincolnwater and Miss LaCreevy kind of have their own little side combo where he proposes to her because all this talk of marriage is making me think about settling down. And so, yeah, all, all Damn of Damn you, all of the Tim couples, Lincolnwater! <laughs> yeah, and she, Miss LaCreevy's like, oh, but what will the brothers say? Like, ah, that would be delighted. <laughs> so, you know, love Damn is in right. the air. And, and yeah, all, all, all three of the couples are finally coming together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so then they're all like, aha! bully off to dinner so then they're going off to dinner and nicholas is left behind on stage alone because who happens to come in wearing a dapper new suit why it's newman nogs and yes. <laughs> apparently uh, he, the death of his employer was the only thing that needed to break him of his alcoholism his alcoholism and his financial ruin i'm not really sure how yes. he can afford this suit Nicholas even says to him, like, how many times have I told you I'd like to buy you a suit? And he's like, no, I had to buy it for myself. <laughs> um, he saved so, his pennies. And Nogs, he saved his pennies. And Nogs, in, with Nicholas, they have this kind of like very sweet, sincere moment where Nogs says, quote, you don't know what I feel today. You can't. And you never will. And Nicholas, with a big smile on his face, says, I can. And I think I do. Mm-hmm. Go wow, wow. Um, so okay, let's let's pause for. And also, this is immediately followed by Nicholas like putting out his arm for Nogs to take it, and then yes. they like do this kind of like real romantic gesture and walk off to dinner together. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just pause a moment here, because like I've been talking about this like you know queer subtext that's been going on with uh, with. The certainly with the character of Noggs and especially in his relationship, this pining that he has for Nicholas. Um, my my question for you is: Is this in the book? Let's skip ahead just to this portion of the adaptation. No, check-in. not at all. When I was reading it, I never got the queer reading. When okay. I got it, was more like almost like Frodo and Samwise. Uh, Which, from... Not that there's no queer reading to do with that. <laughs> well, the way Peter Jackson directed unfortunately came across as a bit more queer reedy but if you read the book it's very much more like the batman and, and, and the generals during world these are men who happily like served and supported somebody else so nogs being of a lower class i think he sees nicholas as a good person who and he's willing to kind of be like samwise there who's not sure what that was uh who was um willing to kind of work with him and kind, and kind of okay. really hates his employer and is like so is I so this little sequence this little sequence of lines that I just quoted that nothing like that exists in the book of like the it does final, it, it, it does but once again but it does once again but once again it comes across as a as a friendship not so much as a queer reading I okay. think also because like, of who's playing Nicholas um, well yeah Roger I do Reese think was gay in real life but I don't I don't need like I don't know I to me I I but see as this you said as in last like, episodes. Roger was never great at the whole ro- romantic. Um, yeah, he's he's very awkward in the ref- in the male female yes. romantic scenes, and like yes. you know, that's not a slight against his acting. No, not I at think all. That's part of me just you know yeah. ghosting, no pun intended, but ghosting just what I know about the actor into the role to like borrow Marvin. Well, and, and it makes um, sense, and it does make sense to me. But I, I, yeah. I see it as well, and I and I think that's why the friendship between Noggs and Nickel and Nicholas comes across a little bit more on a queer reading side just because these and two like, men clearly have a good friendship with each other that that I think can be read as something more. Yeah. When you all in the book, 
Dickens most certainly did not, in my opinion, did not put it in the book. Yeah, like, okay, so that's, see, I, I like that this is an aspect of this production, like, because I don't think, I feel like it's very hard to make a case that this was not a deliberate staging choice, or, and like, mm-hmm. and adaptation writing choice, that like this, it's the 80s, you know, queer, queer visibility is starting to kind of, you know, True. make, you know, we're, we're post-Stonewall. Don't forget, we having... we're still in the time of Thatcher. In, in Reagan and um, conservatism. Well, yeah, I'm not suggesting that, you know, I don't think there was ever a situation where Nicholas and Noggs would just, like, make out for, like, 13 minutes on stage and be like, yeah. Part 10. <laughs> Part 10. Like, yeah, so, I like, I, I knew that we weren't going to get any, like, very explicit romance between these characters, but yes. I do think the staging very deliberately invites this reading and i and i i like it i i think you know the victorian being this like very stuffy sexually repressed time like well they weren't so sexually repressed as we all think they actually were quite a horny bunch they just well they were, were very, very horny but they but they, the, they were the very proud about their they, horniness well, well, publicly yeah, they, they were the very repre- stuffy but and, and that's the repressed part of it so like yeah. this yeah mm-hmm. and you know we saw what would happen to oscar wilde just a few decades later like uh, so um yeah so I, I i do very much this is my you know otp <laughs> you know one true pairing of uh, nogs and nicholas i like that they <laughs> finally get this we'll talk about how this is slightly undermined in just in just a couple scenes but yes. like i do like that they got this very very prominently romantic moment in there yeah. um so the cold weather begins so i guess it's a few months later or whatever mm-hmm. or maybe weeks hard to say and Nicholas is going to Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's, but on their way, and he's like kind of traveling with Kate for this, they happen to pass a little theater, and there's a big sign saying that it's the final performance of the Crummels Company. That's and right. There's this they get a big reunions. <laughs> yeah, big reunion scene where Mr. Crummels is so happy to see Mr. Johnson, and they hug, and he introduces them to his sister Kate, Mrs. Johnson. <laughs> um, I Kate, love Kate's Kate look at him where he's like, Johnson? Like, Yeah, and like Kate's given him a real hard time about the fact that yes. he lied about his identity. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, like she, she seems to think this is like the funniest thing ever, like as funny as Kate can sort of, Kate doesn't laugh like at all of this entire production. So yes. like this, this is the closest she comes to expressing like amusement at anything. <laughs> like, um, yes. Yeah, so, and so yeah, it starts with just Mr. Crummles, and then Mrs. Crummles and the kids show up, and they're all so excited to see Mr. Johnson, and they're begging him to stay to watch their final performance. But mm-hmm. before they go across the Atlantic to America, Americans love melodramas; they'll fit right in. <laughs> um, and yeah, the Nicholas is like, "Sorry, I have a journey of my own that I must attend to, and I cannot." Uh, you know, Mrs. Crubbles like does her like eyelash flicking thing to try to seduce him <laughs> into staying. But once again, it doesn't really work. <laughs> um, and oh, also it's minor piece of information, but they reveal that Miss Snivellici has married the Chandler who was lighting their theatrical productions, and she couldn't be happier. And even though Nicholas is engaged to Madeline, he kind of takes this hard and. He gives them a hard time for that too. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that's just that's just a thing that's also happening. Um, anyway, so we get we get our big Crummles reunion here. You know, this melodramatic reunion, yeah. very fitting yeah. for the Crummles. Um, so then, you know, the cold winter weather is looming, and Nicholas arrives at Yorkshire. 
But first we get a scene with all the orphans who are threatening a little Wackford Squeers Jr. Asking him, well, what's what's happening with your father and his whereabouts? And why hasn't he come back from London? Yes. And little Wackford reveals that his father is being sent to Australia. Gotta love colonialism. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. So little Wackford reveals that his father is being sent to Australia and that yes. another man, that Snolly has been arrested and mm-hmm. that another man hung himself. That's obviously Ralph. So, yeah. the, you know, so obviously, you know, the, the schoolmaster is not coming back anytime soon, which yeah. gives the, which gives the other boys a lot of confidence to do something they wanted to do for a long time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when Mrs. Squeers comes with her, you know, what was it? It was was it milk and brimstone, or I remember the brimstone. I don't remember what the it's, other. It's, it's, a, it's like a molasses and brimstone. Yeah, yeah. So the, the brimstone. Not nice. Yeah. So when she's like, "Okay, line up for your brimstone," mm-hmm. you know, they, you know, they very systematically each take turns taking one of the implements from her. The first one takes the spoon. The second one takes the pan full of the brimstone. Third one takes away her beating stick, and yep. then. They finally have their revolt and they kind of, they seize the Squeers and Mrs. Squeers and Fanny and little Wackford. They, you know, plunge their faces into the brimstone. Then, you know, it's a, you know, we don't need no education. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very good. It's a very satisfying moment. Once again, the audience starts cheering. I like how into it the audience was and like all these kind of like the big British come up really did get into that. I mean, like I can tell you yeah. that when I was over there seeing shows like during the uh, big final Les Mis uh, Tenardier number, The Beggars at the Feast. The audience actually literally starts doing the clap along to the music, which is something you never see done over here in North America. When I've seen the show done twice in North America, that mm-hmm. there's actually like yeah. the audience gets into the clapping and the booing. Like when I was in Wales seeing a show, uh, the bad guy came out on stage and at the end of the performance, everybody booed him. But the <laughs> actor took it in stride and he was like, Yeah, like, of course, I'm the villain. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Like here yeah. it's always like, you know, and like we've end. talked, we're much more subdued audience. And we've also talked in the past about bad pro shots that film one version with the audience, one without, and yes. just cut to the audience in between the acts, but you don't hear any audience response during. <laughs> yes. Like Oklahoma was the biggest. I was about to say Oklahoma <laughs> being being the number one culprit for that. Yeah, so like I like that. You know, they they filmed it with the live audience. Yes. We get to hear their reaction. They're super into it, and these big moments kind of really speak to that. Yes. So, okay, so in the middle of this orphan revolt, Nicholas and John and Tilda arrive to sort of, mm-hmm. you know, put yes. down the the revolt. Yes. But they, they kind of, they save Fanny. They sort of mm-hmm. prevent any further violence from happening to Mrs. Squeers. Yes. And they well, say, Well, well I mean, Mrs. Squeers and the boy have run away. They abandoned right, Fanny. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So Fanny's left behind to kind of. Yes. So they say, "Enough, enough. You're free. Run." And like this yes. kind of, it, it to me, it seems a little harsh from Nicholas, who of all people should be able to empathize with the, what these children yes. have been through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's like, "Go on, get out of here. No more violence." Like, <laughs> and it's a little, little bit different in the book. We'll get into it. Okay. And then so John. It's kind of like, come on, Fanny, let's take you home. You'll just live with us, I guess. You'll be <laughs> um, our maid. 
you'll be our you know spinstery friend who lives with us and maybe cleans i don't know (laughs) so so yeah so that's the kind of final fanny moment and yeah all the kids run away um and then i so this was funny uh right right as they're about to leave nicholas turns to john and says and i quote thank god at least it's over end Mm -hmm. quote which like i've been enjoying this production but if someone in the audience hasn't been and they're now well into hour eight of this I think that line, thank God at least it's over, might yes. bring a very different way. And I kind yes. of maybe feel for the actors who've been on stage this whole time and have really been through the ringer with a lot of this stuff. Yes. That line maybe means something to them that it doesn't yes. like. <laughs> so yeah, I, I thought that was a funny line. Mm-hmm. So then we get our sort of last little Greek chorus sequence where mm-hmm. one of the orphans, the one who stole the spoon, is kind of alone in the streets because, you know, it's not like they really had a home to get to. They just told them to all, like, run away. They didn't do a really good job of putting them into, like, safe foster care or anything because, you know, Victorian England. So this one child is, like, destitute in the streets. It's the Band-Aid solutions that we still see today. Yep. So, yeah, so the the child is sitting there destitute. All the children have just become, like, a, you know... The kid dies. Yeah. Wait, which one? The, the, the one, one on the stage streets. with the spoon. Okay, was he dead? Because he was kind of sitting. Yes. I don't know if that was that established. That kid dies. Okay. Yeah. I, okay, at well, least, that... Or at t- least that's how I read it, was that, was okay. that as the snow keeps falling, the kid kind of representing the ever-unchanging class structure of the world that... Okay. Some people keep I, moving I, up, and, and Nicholas, and, and, kind of, and it's the, kind of the forgotten poor that we started the play with that. Well, okay, so I'm going to... My dies. reading of... My reading of that child is very different, and we'll get to that when I describe okay. what happens with this onstage body. But, right. but yeah, so the child is just kind of sitting there. I didn't necessarily think he was dead, and I don't think that was... I, I could be wrong, but I don't think that was, like, outright said. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, we get... Yeah, so he's just sitting there on stage while this sort of final uh, kind of, like, scene where, like, the whole Nickleby family is on stage... And, you know, we sort of like rapid fire shoot through a lot of the kind of major life events, sort of like an epilogue. So all of the the weddings happened. (laughs) Nicholas and Madeline and Kate and Frank had a joint wedding because that's not weird. And, uh, you know, and uh, the the firm was renamed a charitable and Nickleby because after a while, after a while. Yeah, because the Nicklebys became much more involved. Yeah. And oh, also, yeah, Tim Lincolnwater and the Creevy opted out of making it a triple wedding. And then just like a few <laughs> weeks later, you know, they had a 